Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I am the ferryman. In the shadows of the afterlife, the Ferryman of Souls guides America's most influential spirits to their eternal rest. Where are you taking me? Are you death? This road is not on any map. How much for a ticket? All I ask for in payment is a tale. I don't know who got to Kennedy first. And the devastation those first bombs caused. I've never been to hell, but I know intimately the hymns of the damned. Binge the season of The Passage now. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Nine-year-old Anna was the first to be afflicted. Having been found just outside the house, one chilly morning in February, rolling around in the dirt and convulsing wildly. When the strange fit eventually ended, she was brought inside and placed on her bed, where she lay, limp and lifeless for what seemed like hours, before finally coming round, seemingly unharmed, as if merely waking from a deep sleep. The funny turn had been all but forgotten by the following week, when workers out in the field were alerted to the sound of screams coming from a nearby road. Running to investigate, this time it was Anna's ten-year-old brother, John, who was found, writhing about in the mud, his teeth clenched shut and his eyes fixed in terror at some far-off point, as foam frothed at his mouth. It took three of them to still him before they could carry him inside. That night, with John recovered, Parents Anne and Nicholas Starkey stood watch over their children as they lay peacefully in their beds, a candle gently flickering on the mantelpiece as they prayed to God to protect them. Since their marriage in 1578, Anne and Nicholas had already lost four children and they would be damned if they were to lose another. But the fits would not stop. Each time the children would be struck rigid, and flung to the ground as their bodies jerked and spasmed uncontrollably. Afterwards, they would be left almost catatonic, sometimes for hours before returning to their normal selves. Over the next six weeks, the couple searched tirelessly for a cure, spending the equivalent of thousands of pounds in today's money on doctor's fees, 
only to be told repeatedly there was nothing physically wrong with their children. Eventually, the couple were forced to accept the terrifying truth that their children had been possessed by something diabolical. The family lived at Cluworth Hall, a large mansion house built sometime around the year 1300, located just outside the town of Tildesley in Lancashire, in the northwest of England, that had been passed down through Anne's family before she herself inherited it. They lived there with a number of staff and their children who managed the property and worked the surrounding fields. At the time, much of Lancashire remained largely untouched by the Reformation currently sweeping the land. The Reformation sought primarily to undermine the power and teachings of the Catholic Church and bring the nation into a more modern, less superstitious age. But as many might have said, it wasn't merely superstition. You're listening to Unexplained, and I'm Richard McLean Smith. It was late one evening in March 1595 when Nicholas Starkey rode out in desperation under the silvery light of the moon to the home of Edmund Hartley, a well-known local conjurer. After Nicholas explained his predicament, Hartley accompanied him back to the Cluworth estate where he found the children once again subdued and unresponsive after another bout of fits. Recognising the work of the devil instantly, Hartley grabbed a series of ornate Catholic charms from his bag and some bunches of herbs, which he lit with a candle, flooding the room with their pungent aroma. Then, standing over the children, he began to utter strange and unusual words, until finally his work was done. The following morning, the children arose, as fit and healthy as they had ever been. Nicholas thanked Hartley for his work, and paid him handsomely for his services, but the cure did not last long, and soon he was forced to call for Hartley once again. After administering another successful treatment, Hartley suggested they make the arrangement more formal, so he could be on hand whenever they needed him. After all, there was no knowing if he'd even be available next time. Terrified at the prospect of being unable to help their children, the Starkeys agreed to the arrangement and offered Hartley the equivalent of 40 days' pay to cover his costs for the next year. And so things continued for the next 18 months, with Hartley continuing to visit the property to employ his charms and herbs whenever John and Anna were tormented by the evil spirits. Then in September 1596, with their possession seemingly well under control, Hartley seized his chance. It was only fair, he said, considering how successful he'd been in keeping the evil at bay, that they consider giving him a raise, and perhaps a house, and some land too. But with the children appearing to be all but cured, the Starkeys refused. Angered by their snub, Hartley fled from their home, but not before issuing the stark warning that their battles with the devil were far from over. And with him gone, they would almost certainly get worse. And with that, he left.
If there's ever been a year to make the mums in your life feel loved and appreciated on Mother's Day, it's this one. Having had a baby last year, I know how hard it's been for my mum not being able to share the moment with us in the ways we would like to have done, which is why I'll be honouring my mum with a heartfelt, sentimental gift the whole family can cherish together forever with StoryWorth. StoryWorth is an online service that helps you and anyone special in your life to share stories through thought-provoking questions about their memories and personal thoughts. Every week, StoryWorth emails your loved one with a different story prompt, questions you've never thought to ask, like what is the best advice their mother ever gave them? Or what was it like to watch Neil Armstrong's first steps on the moon? StoryWorth has helped numerous families learn about each other in profound, special ways, and their testimonials will practically move you to tears. After one year, StoryWorth will compile all the stories, including photos, into a beautiful keepsake book that's shipped for free. Give your mum the most meaningful gift this Mother's Day with StoryWorth. Get started right away with no shipping required by going to storyworth.com unexplained. You'll get $10 off your first purchase. That's storyworth.com unexplained for $10 off. The following month, a strange noise was heard one morning, coming from young Elizabeth Hardman's bedroom. Hardman, the daughter of house staff who also resided at Cleworth Hall, was found scrabbling about under her bed, clawing at the floor. When asked what she was doing, she stopped suddenly and stuck her head out from underneath. I must find a way through, she said, because the devil is waiting for me on the other side. Then, jumping out from under the bed, the girl charged head first toward a nearby window, only to be caught just in time before she was able to throw herself out of it. Not long after this bizarre incident, the house was shaken by strange cries coming from every quarter. Elizabeth, her sister Margaret, and their friend Eleanor Holland, who also resided at the property, were found in a bedroom, howling together like wolves. And before long, John and Anna Starkey began howling too, in unison with them. Not only had the demonic spirits returned, but they were now spreading too. Convinced that Edmund Hartley was somehow responsible, Nicholas travelled immediately to Manchester to seek the advice of the warden of Manchester's Christ College, a man considered by many to be one of the most learned individuals in the country. His name was Dr. John Dee. Dee, a graduate of Cambridge University and one of the leading scientific minds of his day, had by the 1580s risen to become a respected scholar and leading advisor to Queen Elizabeth, as well as her designated court astronomer. After becoming increasingly fascinated in the occult, however, by the 1590s, his reputation had waned considerably. When it was revealed that he'd been attempting to communicate with angels, and, according to him, succeeding in his venture, rumours began to spread that he was in league with the devil. Having amassed one of the largest libraries in the country, Dee returned home from a six-year trip to Europe in 1889 to find it had been ransacked by a paranoid mob who destroyed over 400 of his most treasured texts, as well as numerous instruments and laboratory equipment. Worse still, the man he'd entrusted his estate to while he was gone had failed to collect rent payments that were owed to him, 
Struggling for money, he was forced to seek settled employment and in 1596 took on the role as warden of Christ's College. It was in this capacity that Nicholas Starkey sought his help, telling him that Edmund Hartley had, through malignant kisses, put the devil into his children and three others in his household. Though Dee took the matter seriously enough, he simply couldn't, under the circumstances, be seen to be dealing in anything of a diabolical nature. Instead, he suggested the Starkeys seek the help of some godly preachers who might be willing to pray over the children and help weed out the nefarious spirits. Dee agreed also that Edmund Hartley should be dealt with. By the time Nicholas returned to Cluworth Hall, things appeared to have settled down. In the new year, with the children seeming much better, they were taken to visit relatives in Manchester, including 33-year-old Marge Byram, a close relation of Nicholas's. It was a few days after the Starkeys left that Marge was sat at home alone in front of the fire, when suddenly she was raised from her chair and thrown violently to the floor. Coming round moments later, she managed to clamber back to her feet and back into the chair, only to be violently flung from it again. From that point on, she became convinced that something malignant had got inside her, and soon she was seeing it too. It started with the sense of something moving about in her belly that seemed to take the form of a calf's head that pushed and squirmed under her skin, stabbing at her as if it were made of nails. Then a rush of cold air would shoot up from her lungs and out of her mouth, giving her the overwhelming urge to bark and howl into the air. Moments later, it would return the other way, as if someone were breathing cold air straight into her mouth. Then it shot down into her stomach, weighing her down like a stone, pulling her to the ground, where she would be forced to lie on her side as her body shivered and her teeth chattered in her mouth. Any attempt she made to get warm would only result in her being wrenched back, away from the source of heat. Calling on Hartley's services again, Nicholas took him to Marge Byram's house to see if he could help. With Dee tipped off, he sent an observer, Matthew Palmer, there also to keep an eye on the proceedings. Barging into the property, he found Hartley murmuring strange incantations over a prostrate Byram and demanded immediately to know what was going on. When Hartley said he was merely praying, an unconvinced Palmer demanded to hear the prayers for himself. Looking sheepish, Hartley admitted that the only prayer he really knew was the Lord's Prayer. Very well then, said Palmer, I will hear that. But Hartley had lied about that too. Palmer then turned to Byram and asked her for her version of events, but the woman would not meet his eye, too afraid of what Hartley might do should she betray him. Having seen enough, Palmer reported Hartley to the local justices of the peace, and in March 1597, he was promptly arrested and sent to Lancaster Castle to await trial on suspicion of conjuring and raising the devil.
One of the things I always struggle with is finding the time and energy after a long day of work to put together a meal that is genuinely part of a healthy, balanced diet, and I really don't feel great when I end up eating takeout for almost every meal. This all changed once I found Daily Harvest. Daily Harvest delivers delicious food, all built on organic fruits and vegetables right to your door. It takes literally minutes to prepare, and I never have to think twice if the food I'm eating is good for me. With Daily Harvest, everything stays fresh in your freezer until you're ready to enjoy it, so you waste less food too. There's no need to overthink any of your meals for the week with Daily Harvest. Smoothies for breakfast, crisp flatbreads for lunch or dinner, and food that's perfect for cooler weather too, like their perfectly roasted harvest bowls and soups. Daily Harvest, undeniably delicious clean food without the prep. To get started, go to dailyharvest.com and enter promo code UNEXPLAINED to get $25 off your first box. That's promo code UNEXPLAINED for $25 off your first box at dailyharvest.com. With Hartley awaiting trial, Justice of the Peace, Edmund Hopwood, rode out to Cluworth to take testimony from his apparent victims and witness their plight for himself. In the days prior to his arrival, the children had taken to crawling about for hours on their hands and knees, yelping like dogs and scuttling away from anybody that tried to get near them. And when they did finally return to their feet, they appeared gripped by a supernatural inability to speak. Though they seemed well enough when Hopwood arrived at the estate, none dared talk to him about Hartley since they were also afraid of what he might do. Marge Byram, at least, agreed eventually to talk. In the six weeks since Hartley had visited her, she claimed to have been continually attacked by familiars of the devil. Every night around the hour of 9pm, the creatures, who invariably took the form of a cat or a dog, took it in turns to knock her down onto the floor, leaving her unable to move until 3am the following morning. Sometimes, she would have an insatiable appetite, eating meat like a starving wild animal, or she might just simply stiffen up, being unable to move for hours. One day in February, a terrifying invisible force took hold of her, yanking her about the room as if she were about to be torn into a hundred pieces. When it finally stopped, a noxious black smoke that stunk of rotting flesh emerged from her mouth. In their deliberations, the justices of the peace consulted all manner of texts on the matter, from Johann Weyer's De Prestigious Daemonum and Heinrich Kramer and Jakob Sprenger's Malleus Maleficarum. However, despite the clear evidence to suggest that the conjurer Edmund Hartley had indeed brought something unsavoury to Cluworth Hall, the court were unable to find specific evidence that he'd summoned the devil to do it. But then, Nicholas Starkey remembered a crucial detail. Back one night, while the pair were travelling to Nicholas's father's home, Hartley had taken him into a small wood. After walking for some time in the dark, deeper and deeper into the trees, Hartley suddenly stopped and began to mark a circle in the dirt. Then he divided it into four parts and filled it with crosses and other symbols, before turning to Starkey and asking ominously for him to step inside it. This was the evidence they needed, and after some further deliberations, the court made up their mind. 
Edmund Hartley was dabbling in witchcraft and must be hung for his crimes. The next day, Hartley was marched up to the gallows at Lancaster Castle in front of a baying crowd, eager to see the end of the man who would later become known as the Tilsley Witch. Hartley was then ordered to stand on a large block of wood as the noose was placed around his neck. Then the block was kicked from beneath his feet, leaving him dangling for a moment, clawing desperately at the rope, when suddenly it snapped, sending him sprawling to the floor, choking and retching. Gasping for breath, he turned to his accusers and repented for everything they accused him of, begging them for mercy promising never again to participate in such diabolical activity. Unmoved, the justices beckoned for a second rope to be brought, which was promptly fixed to the scaffolding. The executioner then grabbed Hartley and marched him back onto the block, before placing the noose once more around his neck. This time, it did not break. Back at Cleworth, despite Hartley's death, Things only continued to get worse, with Byram having since moved into the property, soon a seventh member of the household would become affected by the apparent possession. Not a child either, but 30-year-old maid, Jane Ashton. With Dr. D unable to intervene directly, his butler made the suggestion to Nicholas Starkey that he contact John Darrell and Pastor George Moore, two ministers who'd helped to cure his young cousin of a similar affliction. Having convinced Dee to write to the pair personally, they reluctantly agreed to help. And so it was, in the evening of March 16th, just as dusk was descending, that Darrell and Moore arrived at the vast grounds of Cleworth Hall. Stealing themselves for what may be about to come, the pair stepped warily out of their carriage. Then, Armed with little more than their trusty Bibles, they ventured forward into the house. Anna and Nicholas greeted the men on arrival and quickly ushered them inside and up to visit their children, both of whom appeared well, having apparently been unmolested by Satan for at least four days. Afterwards, Darrell and Moore joined the Starkeys in their dining hall for dinner. Having just sat down to eat, Margaret and Elizabeth Hardman and Eleanor Holland appeared in the doorway. One by one, they stepped slowly into the room and approached the two ministers, announcing confidently that they had come of their own free will to welcome them into the house. When their faces suddenly contorted into pained looks and all three of them were picked off their feet and flung violently backwards. The ministers looked on with horror as the girls screamed and writhed on the floor, their bodies appearing to swell and bulge as though something were trying to push out of them. Then Margaret shot up and fixed the men in a terrifying stare. Do they think they can hang the devil? she hissed. They might have hanged Ed, but they could not hang the devil. It was no marvel that the rope broke for they were too Ed and the devil. In the end, he who had so sweetly by his kisses sent the devil into so many, had by the just judgment of God the devil sent into him. 
Then, from somewhere deep in the house, the maid, Jane Ashton, began to howl. With no time to waste, Darrell and Moore ordered for Jane, Marge Byram, and all the children to be rounded up and placed in a chamber together. Then, with Nicholas and Anne, as well as a number of staff looking on, began to pray over the afflicted, each one writhing and howling at the utterance of every sanctified word. Then a strange murmuring started up among the children that steadily evolved into words. Bible babble, Bible babble, prittle prattle, prittle prattle, and soon their voices were beginning to rise, tormenting Darrell and Moore with their ferocity until the pair couldn't take any more and retreated out of the room. When the noise finally abated, they agreed to try again the following day. I'm excited to share with you a brand new podcast from Pineapple Street Studios called My Fugitive. Throughout the series, host Nina gildon Seavey works to answer a question that haunted her family for decades. Whatever happened to Howard Mechanic? Howard was a college student in St. Louis when he vanished after a riot left a federal building burnt to the ground. Nina's dad was the civil rights attorney who represented Howard. On her hunt for answers, she came across a Cold War spy ring, a conspiracy to assassinate a civil rights icon, black bag jobs against activists whose lives were changed forever, and the government's attempts to cover it all up. New episodes of My Fugitive are available every week wherever you get your podcasts. But why wait? Binge all episodes now, exclusively on the new Odyssey app. Odyssey is your audio home for all the podcasts, music, news and sports that matter to you. That's Odyssey, A-U-D-A-C-Y. The next morning, having sent word out for reinforcements, Around 30 members of the local community gathered in the parlour as the five children, Jane Ashton and Marge Byram, were brought out and each laid down on a couch. With Darrell and Moore leading proceedings, the group chanted prayers solemnly together and before long, the afflicted began to writhe and cry out in strange and disturbing ways as others tried their best to hold them down. A gasp went up from the crowd when blood began to flow from John's mouth and nostrils as his body flailed wildly. Then those words came again, whispered at first among the girls before increasing in volume. Bible babble, Bible babble, prittle prattle, prittle prattle, Bible babble, Bible babble, prittle prattle, prittle prattle. Darrell in turn spoke ever louder, urging the crowd to lift their voices in unison as they cried out to God for mercy. Then came a horrifying scream from Marge Byram. It is coming, she cried. Grabbing at her belly, she felt what she described later as something rising up from inside her that moved into her throat before emerging finally from her mouth. It was a dark mist at first, before it quickly transformed into a crow that flew off to the far side of the parlour, where it perched, and watched her for a moment before shooting out the window in a flash of fire. Byram thumped back down on the couch where she lay silent and still. Then something shifted in John too when suddenly with his face now covered in blood he gave out a scream 
at the sight of what he would later describe as a man with a large bulge on his back and a look of utter darkness on his face emerged from his mouth. The thing turned for a moment and attempted to re-enter him before finally vanishing out of the room. Then John too fell back, limp and silent. Convinced his son was dead, Nicholas ran distraught to his side and begged God to have mercy and not to take another one from him. After what seemed like hours, the boy finally began to stir, then sat bolt upright with a look of bright contentment in his eyes. And just then, Margaret gave out a wild howl. I am hot, I am too hot, she said. I will not die. Then she lurched forward and vomited, and all the other girls did the same. For Margaret, Anna and Elizabeth, it emerged in the shape of a white bearded thing with a bulge on its chest, sticking out like a second head. For Eleanor, it was a small, strangely shaped child in ragged clothes that scuttled away through a small hole in the wall. It had also tried to return, telling her he would break her neck and cast her into a pit of fire if she didn't let him climb back inside. But she resisted, and finally it appeared they had all been delivered. All that is, except for Jane Ashton. That night, terrified they might become possessed again, the children hid under their bedsheets as their local pastor, Father Dickens, watched and prayed over them, urging them to resist. And come the morning, their ordeal appeared to be over. For Jane Ashton, however, all was not so well. On the second day, as many as 50 locals were said to have joined Darrell and Moore in the parlour as they attempted once and for all to be rid of the demonic spirits. With the children and Byram also present for precautionary measures, their efforts focused mainly on Ashton. At the first sound of prayer, Ashton screamed in pain as her body convulsed, then began to shake manically, as if she were a rag doll caught in the jaws of a large dog. Then finally, just after 1pm, she heaved forward, vomiting bile to the ground, then collapsed in a heap, exhausted, claiming later to have seen a large bulbous toad escape her body. For the next few days, the children and Byram claimed they were approached again numerous times by the devilish spirits, but each refused them re-entry until finally they were left alone for good. With each of them eventually being given a clean bill of health, they were never bothered again by the spirits. Jane Ashton was not so lucky. After leaving Cluworth, having apparently been cured, it was said that she went to live with a Catholic uncle, where her devilish symptoms once more reared their head. She was eventually rounded up, and having been given up as a lost cause, was exhibited to the public, howling and barking, as a warning to all Catholics what might befall them if they didn't convert to Protestantism. The following year, John Darrell and George Moore were imprisoned by the Archbishop of Canterbury for their involvement in the exorcism of a man from Nottingham named William Summers. They were imprisoned again the next year after being convicted of fraud for what many saw as their blasphemous practice. 
In 1600, they published their summary of all these events in their book, A True Narration of the Strange and Grievous Vexation by the Devil of Seven Persons in Lancashire and William Somers of Nottingham, where you can still read all about it to this day. If you enjoy Unexplained and would like to help support us, you can now do so via Patreon. To receive access to ad-free episodes, just go to patreon.com forward slash unexplainedpod to sign up. Or if you'd like to make a one-time donation, you can go to unexplainedpodcast.com forward slash support. All donations, no matter how large or small, are greatly appreciated. Unexplained, the book and audiobook, featuring 10 stories that have never before been covered on the show, is now available to buy worldwide. You can purchase through Amazon, Barnes & Noble and Waterstones, among other bookstores. All elements of Unexplained, including the show's music, are produced by me, Richard McLean-Smith. Please subscribe and rate the show wherever you listen to podcasts, and feel free to get in touch with any thoughts or ideas regarding the stories you've heard on the show. Perhaps you have an explanation of your own you'd like to share. You can reach us online at unexplainedpodcast.com or Twitter at unexplainedpod and Facebook at facebook.com forward slash unexplainedpodcast. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I am the ferryman. In the shadows of the afterlife, the Ferryman of Souls guides America's most influential spirits to their eternal rest. Where are you taking me? Are you death? This road is not on any map. How much for a ticket? All I ask for in payment is a tale. I don't know who got to Kennedy first. And the devastation those first bombs caused. I've never been to hell, but I know intimately the hymns of the damned. Binge the season of The Passage now. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Hi, listener. I'm Carol Fisher, the host of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister. I'm so excited for you to hear the brand new season where we're uncovering a 35-year-old mystery. But for those of you who didn't hear season one or just want to listen to it again, you can now get access to all episodes of that first season of The Girlfriends 100% ad-free through the iHeart True Crime Plus subscription, which is available exclusively on Apple Podcasts. You'll also get access to every single episode of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister, ad-free and one week early only available to iHeart True Crime Plus subscribers. So what are you waiting for? Head to Apple Podcasts, search for iHeart True Crime Plus, and subscribe today.